Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Over the last few days, there have been numbers of powerfully moving memorials in Bali, marking 10 years since the devastating Bali bombings, which claimed the lives of 202 people, including 88 Australians. Devastating, of course, with the lives lost, the thousands of people who still grieve. It's been really important for them, Aussies, to know that we have not forgotten and we will not forget. But also devastating for the people of Bali. We've rarely stopped and thought what it meant for them, for their lives lost, the damage to their region, their businesses and economy. One Australian man who's had a particular passion for Bali and its people, especially its children, is Paul Wilton, who's been there over these past few days for the memorials. He's the founder of the Bali Children's Foundation. So to get a picture of the memorials and to find out more about the impact of the bombings on Bali, plus the very noble work of his foundation, Paul joins us now from Bali. Paul, welcome to Open House. Uh, Thank you very much, Lee. Thanks for joining us, Paul. This has no doubt been a particularly powerful time to be there. Uh, Indeed, a very emotional um, time. Um, I mean, the service on Friday morning, uh, the official one, was extremely uh, emotive, and uh, I don't think there was a dry eye there. Mm. And and to give you an example, I I went up and I I spoke to John Howard after the event, and and John gave a very moving um, uh, speech at the thing. And I went over and, and I've met John before and I shook his hand and he actually gave me a big bear hug. I mean, this is from the former Prime Minister and, and that shows the emotion that was in him yeah. on the day. What struck you? What were some of the things that struck you being there 10 years on from the bombing, Paul? What struck me is the incredible um, resilience, the beautiful nature of the Balinese people, how they've actually coped with this and with the Australian people and other nationalities as well, how they've actually got behind to make something constructive and worthwhile and beneficial for the people out of a really bad situation. As I said, with the losses that Australia suffered, there's not been much of a realisation about the way Bali itself was impacted by the bombings and the ongoing fears of terrorism. How have you seen that unfold right from the start over this past decade, Paul? And, of course, you know, whilst Australians, you know, we lost an incredible number of people at 88, you know, there were 202 um, lives lost, so there was a lot of other nationalities, and, of course, the Balinese people themselves. Yes. And, uh, you know, people you know, might forget that a bit. But there are also the implications of that long term. For the next year and a half, through a stop coming to this country, tourism is the major employer here. And so most people lost their jobs, uh, you had massive problems of marriage breakups. You had suicides because the economy basically stopped, and uh, it was a really difficult time for for the people here. And it was two years after that that you launched the Bali Children's Foundation. Of all places for a successful Australian businessman to reach out, lend a hand to people who need help, especially the children. Why Bali, Paul? I've had a long-term um, association with Bali. I came here uh, 30 years ago on a holiday and uh, started coming back. And quite a few years ago, I, I saw a family in need here and I, I, I made a small donation to them. And uh, when I came back the next year, I saw the incredible difference this small amount of money had made to that family and their lives. And so each year I would take on something 
a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And, uh, of course, you know, for a little amount of money here, you can actually achieve a lot. Yes. I could see the multiplying effect of doing something small, and not just on that family, but then it became their associated families, and actually, in some cases, even the whole village would actually you know, just improve. You've mentioned the word, and you hear this frequently about the people of Bali, how beautiful they are. What do you see in them? What are they like that makes them so exceptionally beautiful, Paul? The Balinese people, of course, are Hindu, which is different to the rest of um, Indonesia, which is Muslim. The Hindu religion, as I understand it, is part of that is that, that all believers in the, the Hindu should treat everyone with incredible respect and kindness. And so the Balinese always treat anyone they deal with, anyone they come to contact with, with, with this kindness and genuine feeling. And uh, that is, uh, makes them such a unique people. And your work has sprung out of your Christian faith. Explain what's been the motivator in that regard behind your work. Well, I'm an old-fashioned Anglican. And uh, you know, when I was... Uh, <laughs> going to church, or still go to church for that matter, but uh, at, at a young age, I was taught you know, and, and uh, understood the importance of actually giving and giving to others so that you could see the difference that it could make. So, you know, when I was very young, you know, part of my pocket money would go in, into the plate, and, and I knew that uh, some good would come out of that. So it's, you know, it's a fortunate education I have. I think it's a, a real problem in Australia uh, where we sit now, you know, I was in church a couple of months ago and there was a Somalian lady there with her five children and each of them put some money into the plate out of their pocket money, a coin in. And it reminded me of my education because what she was doing was educating them about giving to help someone else. Now, the average Australian now, you know, we're not a real church-going um, nation. Our children are not getting the ability to actually learn how to give and the importance of giving. It's a good message to be heard tonight. Paul, I'd love you to tell us exactly who you help and how you help among the children of Bali and no doubt their families, the range of work that you do for them and among them. Okay, our, our initial work was purely in orphanages and uh, there's 66 orphanages in uh, Bali. The majority of them are there for economic reasons and that is that people can't afford to um, feed their child. So what you'll generally find is that quite often there's a single parent involved, but in a male-dominated society here, if, if the wife loses the husband, um, she can no longer stay the husband's family. So she then, if she doesn't have a job, she cannot actually feed the child. So she will hand it over to an orphanage where they can be fed and educated. Uh, there are a few other um, orphanages which are probably uh, more traditional so that they are children with physical and uh, mental disabilities with it. So we started helping in that thing and uh, some of those orphanages are actually started as a direct result of the bombing. For example, Jody O'Shea Orphanage, which is where we built most of the buildings at it, is named after you know, a girl who died in the, um, in the bombing. She actually got back to Australia but did die because there's a lot of things that happened here of Westerners wanting to do something for the, the Balinese since that bombing. So involved in the orphanages there. We've now moved into um, a, a broader area which is remote village education. One of the problems in Indonesia is that you have to pay to go to school. 
So that in secondary school, it does cost money. What we're finding in the remote villages of Bali is that the children would not go to secondary school because the parents could not afford it, so they would actually be working in the fields at age of 10. What we do, we go into those villages, we, um, we pay for them to stay at secondary school, and we also we will fit out a computer room and also supply some English training as well after school in the village, which will then enable them to get jobs because the major employer on the island is tourism. If they have some English ability, um, they will get a job. And uh, that then flows back into that community. And, uh, what, uh, I mean, what I know about uh, changing people's lives in terms of countries is if you have a look at third world countries, what doesn't work? Governments and NGOs can't actually bring a country out of third world uh, poverty. What can is commerce and education. So if you get that education into them and also bring the ability to earn some money, you actually change it. And that's what we're seeing happen in Bali now. The economy is growing well. These kids are starting to get jobs. The villages are changing. And that's quite exciting. This year we'll have 13... Um, students who will go to university that have come out of our projects in the um, remote villages. And all bar one of those are actually female, which is uh, quite extraordinary in itself because it is a male-dominated society here and males will always get the break first, but we've actually concentrated on on, um, giving wherever possible um, some female bias to it. And to have uh, those 13 starting at university uh, this year, we had one last year, but we're up to 13 this year, is uh, a, a real exciting thing that uh, certainly justifies and, and gives uh, us hope in what we're doing. Sure. I know, and I'm sure you don't do this for yourself, but what does it do for you to see such difference in people's lives? I consider myself to be extremely fortunate. I don't, did not come from a um, wealthy family, but my parents actually borrowed money and sent me to a private school uh, to get a very good education. My older brother and sister actually, they they couldn't afford to do it for them. They they went to a a public school. And the education I got, I believe, set me up in life to uh, achieve. So that uh, from there I've been extremely successful in business and uh, it came a point in time I said, you know, I have to be giving back. So 80% of my time now is actually involved in charities 20% 20% still runs the, the business, which is Budget Medicare. And uh, it, it, it is something that, you know, that I've chosen to do to give back in thanks for what has, uh, has happened with me. It's a great story. Is there one particular child, Paul, that you can tell us about, among no doubt many, for whom the foundation has made a really significant difference in their lives? One of the girls called Wyan, a girl who was out of, you know, the fields there and extremely poor family, uh, dirt floor, the lowest level of uh, in the economic cycle. Going through our programs there, she is now at university, as I said. But we also decided that we would do a project whereby we helped her family do up their house. We actually put a proper roof in it, we actually put a ceiling in it, we got rid of the dirt floors, concreted that, and actually put beds in the place. Probably cost about uh, $2,000 Australian. The effect on that family was quite extraordinary. But more importantly, the effect on the village was even more important because 
all of a sudden those houses around started to clean up their buildings and things like that. And now you go, it is a pretty little village. And it's all come out of that. And the other village is seeing what is happening with Wyon. To see a girl out of their, their village who, you know, used to have to walk 20 minutes to get to, to the school down the hills, out, out of the mountains, each way, a really hard slog. To now be at, at uh, university and uh, to see her and the message she is spreading through the village is very exciting. It's a wonderful story, one of no doubt many. We should give people the details if they want to help with the Bali Children's Foundation. Paul, where do they go? We do have a website there, which is uh, barleychildren.com, one word. There are a lot of charities set up over here by people affected from the bombing that are doing similar work to us. So it's not just us, but uh, we could certainly uh, use a hand as well. I should also say one other thing, Lee, to add to this about what's happened uh, in the last few days here. Ten years is a, is a big time. The feeling I'm getting from the locals and also the people who attended is now is the time actually to move on. Ten years, uh, we actually need to put an end to this and look towards the future. And I'm not sure whether your listeners might have heard there was a 10-year-old boy at the service who spoke and gave a poem about his dad who he lost, his daddy who he lost. He was only one and a half. He can't recall them. And it was quite sad. However, it finished off with this. He said, I promise to end my lingering here. I'll gain my lost future back. I'll make all your dreams come true. And I will take care of mum for you. May God listen to my prayers. And I think that's summed up where it's at at the moment. And uh, without this, people are now, we put this 10-year thing aside, we need to move on. With the greatest sense of hope. Paul Wilton, thank you so much yeah. indeed for joining us on Open House and uh, all the very best with your very important work there. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.